Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. This is Dominic Kearns with the Rising is One podcast. Jeff Went can't be on today, but I am joined by Kyle. Kyle, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, Dominic. You know, just uh, recovering after last night, but it's a good Sunday. So uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm kind of with you. That was a, that was a tough one last night. Um, definitely a tale of two halves, uh, but we can get into that soon enough. Uh, before we begin, just want to say that the Rising is One podcast is presented by the Arizona Sports Complex. The Arizona Sports Complex is Arizona's premier indoor soccer facility on the southwest corner of 35th Avenue and Pinnacle Peak Road in Glendale. With newly installed air conditioning, the Arizona Sports Complex is home to youth and adult soccer year-round. Visit the Arizona or visit ArizonaSportsComplex.com for more information. So now that we got that out of the way. Do you want to get into our match? Yeah, let's do it, man. It's, it's what we're here for. Yes, we are. And uh, we will we will have that Evan Waldrop interview at the end of the episode. So if you can get through us uh, at our worst ranting about this match, you'll get that at the end. Uh, kind of like the meme that was going berserk on Twitter this week. If you, if you can't have us at our worst, you don't deserve... You don't deserve me at my best, something like that. So, <laughs> bad radio. But... That's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, going into it, it was an interesting starting 11, to say the least, from Carterone. And before we get too much into the match itself, I kind of hated our starting lineup. Um, most of the people were fine. What I don't understand is Wakasa starting over Dubose at right back and Cortez continuing to start at the number nine position. Um, we saw that, I mean, Cortez had a great week two weeks ago, but he didn't have it last week. And you have Kavon Freider, you have Jason Johnson, and now you have Didier Drogba in the 18. I'm pretty surprised that Cortez gets another start up there. And 
And then why Wakasa for this match when you know it's going to be a big test against a talented attacking squad like Monarchs? What are your thoughts on those two? Uh, yeah, I mean, those are the two, the two names when I saw the sheet that I was kind of surprised with. Um, as you said, Wakasa... We all know in the past, I mean, he, he had solid performances last year, but there was also quite a few goals that he was at fault for. And, and um, to see him start in such a big match, I mean, this was easily our biggest match of the season so far, even though it's early on. But we would have liked to see Devin DeBose in there. Um, what we've seen from him so far this season has just been solid defense. And, I mean, a great ability to get forward on the attack as well and to put crosses into the box. So... I think he's one player that we missed last night. And as you mentioned, uh, to see Chris Cortez again was a bit of a surprise. I thought after his performance last week, which was subpar, um, we might see Kavon Freider. I mean, I was hopeful we'd see Drogba start, but I think I think that coming back from illness, it's reasonable that he came on off the bench. But uh, yeah, I really would have liked to see Kavon Freider too because we haven't seen him since that first week in OC and uh, in preseason, he was putting in some nice goals for us. So it would have been nice to see him out there last night. Yeah. And I think, I think one other guy uh, that I'm just kind of frustrated that it happened the way it did. And this is not even to say that he had a bad match yesterday. Cause I think Gladson Iwako improved uh, when compared to last week, but I would still rather see Billy Forbes getting that start. That's two matches in a row now where Forbes isn't starting and Forbes, in our first two matches, other than Asante, our most electrifying player, our biggest man in the attack. I mean, it makes sense that he couldn't start against Reno because he was just coming back from international break. But what are you waiting for? This is a perfect match for Forbes to start. And we need that kind of attacking to create chances on the left wing. You know, the Monarchs do have a decent squad, a decent defense. This is a match where we really could have used Forbes for the full 90 minutes. So instead of the last 22, I just don't, I really don't understand it. And I don't like it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, feel, I feel the same way. I think, I think he's a big game player. And I think that had we seen him for the full 90, uh, the result could have been different. I mean, it's, it's kind of frustrating as a fan because, you know, we can, we can speak our voice and, you know, our opinion will always be right, but we don't know what Carterone was thinking and why he decided to put out the starting 11 that he did. But, I mean, overall, I think that we did have a solid performance. Um, I think we could have managed to draw easily. The, the Monarchs were just able to stop our all of our attacks. And, I mean, Connor Sparrow made a few great saves last night. So I think uh, it's something to be disappointed with, but I think in the future we could find a way to win this game. Yeah, and you know, let's let's go through it now, um, just to get into some of those plays that Sparrow made because you know, in my opinion, he's the man of the match for either side. Uh, you know, just to keep the squad in the match in that first half when we really could have had potentially two or three goals. Um, you know, all the credit in the world to him, but you know, it's it's a it's a frustrating one because we could have had it. So early on, uh, things things take their time. I think the teams are feeling each other out for the most part in the early going. Uh, no clear-cut chances the first 10 minutes or so. Um, you know, 12th, 
12th minute, Colin Fernandez gets a shot on target, but it's pretty easily saved. The first big-time chance uh, comes in the 27th minute. Uh, this was Colin Fernandez, who I will give him credit. He has been very good on deliveries on set pieces. I think him and Asante have been our best two options by a pretty large margin thus far. So he gave a great delivery. Johnson gets a great flick header on it. Um, and I thought for sure that ball was going in. Um, it was a brilliant header by Johnson to go to the back post. I think the keeper's momentum was going to his left. And he put the ball the opposite direction. But, you know, really got to credit Connor Sparrow there. Um, dives over against his weight and gets there and is able to save the ball from going in. Um, goes out for a corner kick, but that's our biggest moment in the early going. Um, Kevon Lambert picks up a, a yellow card a couple minutes later, and then Real Monarchs actually had a, a couple decent chances. Uh, Velazquez got on the end of a header, uh, but that was saved. They had a ball towards the end of the first half that went over the net that could have been very dangerous. But then in the 33rd minute, another great chance. And this, you know, Cortez did not have his shooting boots on, but he at least got involved on a few plays, had a couple nice touches. Here he passed it to Awako. Awako did a great job to get by a couple defenders, gets a shot from about 20 yards, and he didn't hit it perfectly clean. It sliced at the very end, and it hit right off the bar, right off the top left corner where the uh, crossbar and the post meet up. Hits mm -hmm. off... Hits off that spot and bounces away, uh, just inches away from putting us in the lead. You got to like Iwako's initiative there and unfortunately doesn't go in. Now, moments later, another great chance from distance. This time it's Solomon Asante trying to get on SportsCenter again with a long shot. This one was from over 25 yards out. And uh, Sparrow had to be on his toes to tip it over for a good save. Um you know, if that shot goes to either corner, it might be in. But just to get it on target from that range with the pace he had, super impressive from Asante. Once again, arguably our best player. And what an amazing signing to get him um, from TP Mzembe. He was a guy that, like, there were so many rumors about over the winter months. And uh, thank goodness that it finally went through. And he's he's making a huge impact for us. Um Later part of the first half, uh, a couple chances, and Iwako had a shot that just missed. Um, Duigi Mala helped him there. But we get to halftime, and it's it's nil-nil. Um, a couple, I mean, a couple times we tried to play the ball off sides, but it ends nil-nil. And, and Sparrow's definitely the man of the match so far. What were your thoughts on the first half? Uh, I mean, the first half, there, I mean, we had... We had quite a few opportunities, and there were good opportunities. Um, like you said, Asante, I think he was definitely our best player in the first half. And uh, I, I thought Iwako did pretty well, too. I think both the Ghanaians, I think our attack was running mostly through them last night. But as we saw, I mean, there was just so many opportunities that were... They weren't half chances. I mean, they were quality chances, but they just weren't able to get that final product to, to put it in the back of the net. So um, I think that overall it was a promising first half. I expected to see 
to see more in the second half of what we saw in the first half. Yeah, and you know what? I forgot to mention, too, right around that time where we were really buzzing when Iwako hit the crossbar, when Asante's shot went over. Moments before those two, um, Asante gave Cortez a great ball, and, and Cortez had it all squared up on his left foot. Acres of space, really half the goal to shoot into, and I don't know how he missed it this bad. He just dragged it way wide of the of the post, and it was a, it was a really frustrating, disappointing shot there because you feel like you have to at least see that ball go on target when you have that much space, that much time. Um, you know, you, it's so weird to see someone play so well two weeks ago, and then the last two weeks it has been a very different story. But uh, we move into the second. Yeah, exa- yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, well, we move into the second half. Uh, no substitutions at halftime for either side, and you know it starts again. We're on the initiative. A couple, a couple uh, chances for us. Asante gets a shot, but it wasn't too threatening. And then, really out of nowhere, Royal Monarchs go ahead in the 56th minute, uh, attack us on the right wing, where. Wakasa allows uh, Chang, I believe, to play a ball up yep. the wing, and then it was actually it might have been it might yeah I guess it was I guess it was Chang that uh, got into the left corner, um, and then weirdly like Wakasa kind of jogged into the box. I don't know what was happening there, uh, but then Chang plays it in the middle, finds Velazquez, um, Velazquez gets around Mala. Really, really nice cut with his left foot to create that space. And then at this point, he's pretty close range. He's about seven, eight yards out. Blasts it. And I didn't realize how close Carl was to blocking it. That ball must have missed his fingertips by a centimeter or less. But somehow it gets over those hands into the net. Good goal for them, 1-0. Um, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on the way that that goal materialized and well, I, it's one of those to where, I mean, we, you know, hindsight will be twenty twenty, and we can say all we want. I wonder if Devin DeBose was was in for Cody Wakasa last night, if that goal happens. Um, I think we've seen a better defensive work rate out of him than we have out of Wakasa sometimes. As you said, he was just jogging in the box, not really marking a man, which we all know is a no-no. Um, so it was... I mean, it's frustrating, but it also was just great piece of play by Monarchs. You know, that that cut that pass by Chang, it was dead on to Velasquez, and he's a quality guy, you know. So if he gets the ball in the box like that, he can make a move against one player. And we saw Waz was very close to saving it, but when you give when you give a, a goal scorer that kind of opportunity, nine times out of ten, they're going to put it in the net. So um, I think it was... One of those kind of op- one of those chances that we could have prevented, but I think it was also kind of a lapse in concentration on our defensive part. And you know, when that happens, sometimes you're going to get scored on. So, yeah, I, I I went back and rewatched it. It was um, Josh Hurd who was being marked by Wakasa. He plays it down the down into the corner for for uh, Michael Chang, and then Chang plays a ball into the box, and then that was. Velazquez being marked by Mala. 
I don't blame Mala too much. I mean, Velazquez is a very skilled midfielder, and he used a great... I mean, that's a great touch there. That is legitimately oh, yeah. an amazing touch. You don't you don't see many people other than Messi and maybe Giovinco uh, able to pull <laughs> that off. But, um, you know, pretty impressive by USL standards. But the, the, the thing that bugs me about that play is... So, Wakasa gets the ball past, you know, beyond him, and he's jogging into the box. If he's running into the box, he can cut that pass off for Velasquez. Or, at the very least, when Velasquez rounds Mala, he can slide tackle from behind and clear that ball before there's a clean shot off. You know, that's the difference there. It's the small things. But when you're going up against a team as good as Real Monarchs, those small things make big differences. Yeah, totally. And I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. I think I think in this situation, it would have helped to have Devin DeBose because, I mean, what we've seen from him so far, he's made very few mistakes. I actually can't think of any that come to mind. Um, so I think he's one of those players that we really missed last night because, yeah, if we have him in, I think that he would have gotten back after he got beaten and he could have cut off that, that pass to Velasquez. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating to see that kind of happen. And it's, it's kind of a shame, too, because I thought the defense actually played pretty well uh, other than that one Oh, play. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we, we've been talking about it, you know, for the past couple of weeks and tonight, how, how good this Monarchs team is. And so to even be at nil-nil at that point, I think that's that shows how good our defense was up until then. Definitely. So we, we move on. Um, we finally get our first substitution in the 68th minute with Billy Forbes coming on for a walko. I think all our listeners know that we were hoping to see Forbes come on the field sooner, but it is what it is. And immediately after Mo- Monarchs score the goal, they start picking up yellow cards left and right. Uh, Josh Hurd, Brody, and Ryden all pick up yellow cards within 13 minutes. And then in the 73rd minute, you think you have the equalizer unbelievable ball by Solomon Asante after the ball pings around at in the box, edge of the box. I mean, this guy's deliveries are insane. They're just perfect. And this ball is right there on a silver platter. And I think if this is Didier Drogba or Jason Johnson on the end of it, it's going to be a goal or we're going to be 1-1. And instead, Chris Cortez is on the end of it. And he got a decent flick, but it goes a few inches wide of the post, stays 1-0, that ended up being our best chance in the last few minutes of that match. I mean, you got to put that ball in the net. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're totally right. That's, I mean, as you said, if we see Didier Drogba on that, that's, I think we could all say that's going in without a doubt. Um, even Jason Johnson or, you know, Kavon Frater. We've been talking about him. I think he could have put that ball into the net. He's one of those goal scorers that is kind of like a poacher and has great aerial ability so yeah that's one of those where Cortez especially from what he showed in that OKC match we know he can score with his head that's one of those that you have to put that in the back of the net and okay and now we get to again the tactics here Drogba comes on in the 75th minute you'd like to see him on earlier unless fitness is a real issue at least a few minutes earlier but he comes on for Jason Johnson why can't he come on for Cortez in that situation? I, I, I don't know. And that's, I think that kind of goes back 
to maybe Drogba plays more of a number 10 role this year because that's what it's looked like. He's not going to be that top lone striker, um, which, yeah, I, I was kind of scratching my head because if I had to put money on it, I would have said Chris Cortez was going out and Drogba was coming in. Um, I thought Jason Johnson had contributed a lot up to that point, but he has played a lot throughout this season, so maybe it was time to get him a little bit of a rest. But, yeah, still, when you're, when you're down 1-0 against a team like Monarchs, um, I would have thought that Drogba would have came in as our striker. And and if, if, if a lot of your chances are going to come off of, you know, balls into the box, header chances, I would rather have Johnson than Cortez. I mean, just the way that they played the last two weeks, Johnson actually put his chance on target, took a brilliant save to keep it out. Um, you know, again, no offense to Cortez, but you know, the results speak for themselves the last two weeks. He had the chances, he had the great opportunities, and he just, he hasn't shown that he can convert those. So why are we keeping him in when we need that goal? I, I just don't, and we know that Drogba and Johnson play well together, so I really don't understand that. Yeah, no, I, I don't either. I mean, I'm sure um, his hat trick against OKC has something to do with it, but I also think that OKC is not as uh, as superior of an opponent as we were ranking them early on in the season, so I think maybe that, that hat trick's been inflated a little bit. Um, I just, yeah, I after he put on that kind of performance, I mean, those were, they were nice goals that he scored, even if they weren't against a, a top goalkeeper, but you got to continue your form, you know, to see a drop off like this over the last two matches. It's, it would be surprising if we see him start next week. I would be very surprised. Right. And you know, it's a short week too. We're going into, into uh, the match against Los Dos, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Um, very frustrating the way this, this match ended. We just didn't create many actual chances. Um, which is kind of stunning if you really think about it. We had some passing, but what was most concerning is they were almost there were moments where we were just passing the ball in the back, and it's like, what's going on right now? They'll let us do that all night. We need to be pushing forward and uh, creating better chances. Uh, there, there was actually a really intriguing chance by Forbes. He had a very tough angle on the left side, but he had a great hit on this ball. This is the first minute of stoppage time. And from where I was standing in supporter section, I thought that might actually make it. Um, instead, it just misses to the right, and things just petered out. Not not a lot going for us, and uh, it ends 1-0. Yeah, it was, I mean, especially with the the talent that we have at, in after Drogba, Drogba came on at the end, I really was... I was expecting us to at least equalize and squeak out a 1-1 draw. Um it was we really didn't see it in many quality chances after that Asante to Cortez header that that he missed that we talked about. Um, it was it was just one of those you know we didn't really push. I felt like once Drogba did come on it, we could have I feel like we could have pushed so much more. Like you said, we were passing the ball in the back and not really taking it to them. And from the Monarchs' perspective, I mean they're more than happy to grind out a one nil. Uh, went on the road so I feel like yeah the tactics were off and maybe maybe the players were a little bit off too last night I don't think we can blame it all on Carter tactics because we did have a lot of chances 
and we just couldn't score. So it's one of those that is frustrating as a fan. It's frustrating as a player. Um, but, you know, we can learn from it. I think we still, you know, we showed heart till the end. We didn't, you know, give up more than one goal, which is good. So uh, we just got to learn from it. And, you know, we got a short week, as you said. So just recover fast and get ready for low stoves. For sure. And, you know, Kavon Freider better be starting against Los Dos because you figure this is going to be a match where there's a lot of squad rotation. We haven't seen Freider start a match all season, and he was Colorado Springs' leading goal scorer last year. So, you know, if you don't play him in this kind of a match, I don't know when he's going to play. Um, he wasn't even on the 18 last night, which is curious. Um, but, you know, a frustrating match, especially because of the stats. If you look at the stats, we actually win the possession battle for the first time this season uh shots we outshoot them 16 to 6 5 to 3 shots on target for us um defense we have a 90.9 percent tackle success rate so you know that just goes to show we had an excellent defensive performance for the most part um you look at aerial duels one again 75 percent to 25 percent um for us and we even win a majority of just duels in general. So we were winning a lot of those 50-50 balls. You know, the only stat that Monarchs beat us on, I mean, even we have fewer yellow cards than them. The only stat that they beat us on is goals 1-0. to nil. Um, But that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be pretty, and sometimes the stats lie, you know? Soccer's, it's one of those games. I mean, it just... Look at that uh, Manchester Derby the other day. Everyone thought Man City was going to run away with it, and, you know, United was able to come back. So soccer is one of those games that, you know, anything can happen, and, you know, the statistics don't always tell the, the true story. So. Yeah, and, uh, you know, credit, credit to uh, the Monarchs manager, Mark Briggs. I think that was a brilliant performance by his squad. Uh, great tactics to try and limit our chances, I noticed they made us shoot a lot of long shots. And, I mean, again, hats off to Velazquez for converting the chance. They probably figured there weren't going to be too many chances. They had to take them. And, you know, hats off to Sparrow for showing up. But I think that's enough from last night's match. A tough one, to be sure. Let's preview next week's opponent. And next week's opponent is going to be... Los Dos, um, that's LA Galaxy's two squad. They have not won a match this season. They've had a rough go of it. And their worst match of the season came last night at OC. In, they're calling it the 405 uh, Derby, I suppose. Uh, last night, Orange County beats them 3-0. And I'm looking at the standings now. I believe that's two draws and two losses on the season. For Los Dos. Yep. Yep. But they're they're not a team that we can uh we can take for granted. Um they they lose a tough one against Colorado Springs on the road. Um but they they drew with Fresno in Fresno and they drew San Antonio at home. So we need to play better than we did on Saturday and we need to take our chances, or else we could easily be looking at a draw like that San Antonio draw out there. Um Looking at the, I mean, the Galaxy have really struggled to score, though, this season. I think that's one thing 
that really bodes well. They scored only one goal in four matches, and that goal was an own goal. So this is a this is a very experimental lineup for the Galaxy in the attack. They they are one of the uh, least. Uh, I mean, really, just a lack of a total lack of options in offense for them. They're starting Alex Mendez last night, Justin Dillon, who's I guess a decent player. Um, Ethan Zubak came on as a sub. He's he's a guy that's been in USL. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, their bench is is a pretty ragged bunch, and a lot of guys even in their starting eleven are a really ragged bunch. Um, I don't I don't know who this Ulysses Yanes guy is, but he's playing attacking mid for them. Emmanuel Apia, that's that's a respected name. They have a lot of strange players though on their roster, and uh, last night they were done in by two red cards. I think this is the match that you can tinker a little bit with the defense. I think Dubose has to get the start. I think um, it might be nice to see Victor Vazquez get a start uh, in this match, and maybe maybe we get to see Joey Farrell get a start because uh, we haven't seen much of him this season. And then, you know, I want to see I want to see Kevon Freider in this match. I want to see Waldrop get a start. You know, so there's definitely going to be some squad rotation. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that this this LA2 team, I think, as you said, they haven't scored much. This Actually, they haven't scored an offensive goal all season. They had that own goal. So, you know, if, if we're able to put in a few goals, I think our defense can stand strong, even if we do experiment with it. Um, yeah, those names that you mentioned, I – all those I would like to see. I, I also would like to see, I mean, I, I, I doubt it's that we tinker with the lineup this much, but Devin Vega, I'd like to see him, you know, get out there as well. We saw good things from him in the preseason, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how Carterone uh, sets this lineup. I think we can all agree that there's no reason for us to put out as strong of a lineup as we did uh, this past week, just because we're not going to be going up as, high of a quality of opponent. And I would, I personally would like to see what some of our other guys can do in USL play, because we all know the season's long and at some time throughout the season, those guys are going to have to fill in. So it'd be nice to see how they can do that early on. Um, and maybe we'll see a spark in goal scoring. You know, I think if we can score a couple goals next week, I think we should have no problem getting three points from Los Angeles. So, yeah, it's a, it's a match that we really have no excuse to not take the three points from. Honestly, this is this is one of the worst. I'm looking at, at, at Los Dos' starting 11. Um, this is one of the thinnest rosters I've seen in USL. This might be, like, you know, maybe Sounders too. This is a really ragged roster. Like, and that's insane to go four games without scoring an offensive goal. So, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> we, that's no excuse for us to uh, not come away with a fairly comfortable win in this match. No, no, there's not. Because I mean, I think, I think we could all, I mean, everyone could agree that we're just, we're a better team than this team. And I mean, especially they had two red cards, which means two of their starting 11 players won't be able to play next match. So 
I think that, yeah, we definitely should be able to win this match, and I think multiple goals should be expected. But uh, as I said early on this season, maybe we shouldn't score too many so that we can uh, disperse them out evenly throughout the matches. <laughs> hey, I'm okay with a 5-0 or 3-0 even. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would be nice to see. It would definitely help our goal differential, and it would be a good motivator for that swap match when we come back to Phoenix. For sure, for sure. So, moving to some other scores around the league. Um, pretty pretty interesting scores around the league. Uh, a couple 1-1 games of note. Uh, San Antonio hosting Swope Park. Uh, a matchup between two teams that figure to be playoff contenders. And San Antonio gives up an early goal in this match. And they come back right away, but... It also looked like there was a pretty wild incident in the 32nd minute. Two San Antonio or two Swope players and a San Antonio player all pick up yellow cards. And then moments later, San Antonio ties it. Um, and then it, it just kind of kind of played out after that. Carlton Belmar gets the goal for Swope. Um, this guy Pekka, who is a newcomer to the squad, scores for San Antonio FC. But kind of frustrating for San Antonio. That's now only one win in four matches. And they are currently outside the top eight. Um, something to keep tabs on. Um, another match of interest from, from this weekend. Fresno going on the road and getting a 1-1 draw at St. Louis. Fresno's starting to show me some stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's impressive. Um, I, I think just to travel from Fresno to St. Louis alone, that could be that could be a reasonable excuse to not perform at your best. Um, and I mean, we kind of talked about it in our season preview. I, I think, and I think you think as well that St. Louis is going to be a solid team this year. If they don't make the playoffs, they'll definitely be in the hunt at the end of the season. So to go out there and get a one, one draw. Yeah. I mean, Fresno is definitely, they've exceeded my expectations early on. Um, It'll be interesting to see where they end up, but I I do think that they could find themselves in the playoffs, maybe in a seven or eight spot. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and a great fight back for Fresno. I mean, it was a very cold night in St. Louis. Um, I believe temperatures were in the twenties during that match. I remember them talking about it during the Diamondbacks game, how cold it was there. So. Um, you know, for, for a, uh, a California team to go in there and get the job done. Pretty impressive. St. Louis went ahead right before halftime. Corey Herzog, a big name in Eastern Conference circles with the goal. But then Juan Pablo Caffa, uh, Tulsa's guy from last season, now in Fresno, and he gets the goal. And looks like Fresno hung on for the 1-1. So big result there. Um, you know... Maybe this result would have raised eyebrows a couple of weeks ago, but now it doesn't surprise me too much. Oklahoma City 0, Timbers 2 with 3. Yeah, I mean, and, and as I said earlier, I, I think that we maybe overestimated OKC this year. Um, they have a lot of returning players, and they signed some new, new good players, but I think that both the Oklahoma teams aren't what they were last season. And Timbers, too, is they're going to be a scrappy opponent this year. They're not going to just uh, roll over and be an automatic win, as most teams saw them last year. So 
yeah, I mean, good for them to go out there. And, I mean, to put three in against OKC, that's, I think that's an accomplishment itself. Yeah, and I'm, I'm checking out some of the stats from this match. Um, Arboleda with a goal. Um, they, they were up at halftime 1-0, and they just, they just kept it going for the 3-0 win. It's another shutout for Kendall McIntosh, who, look, when you have a keeper that's in form, you're going to be going places. And I think, I think he's taken a leap. He was one of the lone bright spots for Portland last season, and he, he has taken a leap this season. So, you know, very, very impressive result for Timbers too. But what is going on in Oklahoma City? I mean, they have some new faces, but this is they still have a lot of strong quality players on this roster. They have um, Christian Ebega. I don't know how exactly that's pronounced, but uh, Juan Guzman, Jose Barril, Miguel Gonzalez. These are these are good guys. They should be playing better. I, it, it is really mind-boggling. Um, and, yeah. And, and, and well, waste, wasteful stuff, too. You look at the stats. Portland with nine shots but seven on target. Oklahoma City, 11 shots, zero on target. Yeah, and, and I mean, that used to be one of their high points was their their attack and their ability to get shots. I think I think that's what's been missing this year. You know, we haven't seen many goals out of this OKC team. And then the fact that their defense is obviously not as good as it was last year. They've let in quite a few goals, four against us, three from Portland. So to have that happen, that's going to uh, definitely not bode well for them. Not at all. And uh, just rounding out the scores around the Western Conference, um, Colorado Springs get back in the win column after a three-game slide. They edge out RGV by a 2-1 score. I don't think either of those teams are doing too much this season, but I guess good for Colorado Springs to win one at home. Uh, again, though, their two wins are against Los Dos and RGV. So, um, Other matches, Seattle Sounders 2 falls again. This time they fall to Sacramento Republic, who jumps into third place in the West. It's their third one-goal win in four matches, and another shutout for Josh Cohen. Um, Sacramento looking pretty impressive. Uh, this is a game they should win. They should take the full three points from. But you know, kudos to them for taking care of business. And they're gonna be, they're gonna be a tough team to break down. I mean, it yeah. looks like the rest of the defense is is stepping up. Cohen's been great for them. I, you know, I, I was, I think some people were surprised when I was saying top four, but they are rewarding my confidence in the early going. <laughs> yeah, they, you must have known something that no one else did. I mean, I, I, I think I agreed with you because I think Josh Cohen is one of the top goalkeepers in the Western Conference. I don't think he got the credit that he deserved last season, other than his move to Sacramento Republic. Um, yeah, I really think their defense, like you said, they've stepped up. And then when you have, you know, a quality goalie like that back in the sticks, you know, we saw Josh last year. He can make he can make great saves uh, night in and night out. So I think they'll continue to uh, perform as they have. And, yeah, I think top four is a realistic expectation for the Sacramento Republic this season. And the, the final match on Saturday, I think we already covered a bit. Um, Orange County 3, Lostos nil, And I believe it was, what was it, Selberg that got two goals of those three for Orange County. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, very good performance from him, and they pick up, they pick up three or Segbers, Mark Segbers, excuse me, on loan yes. from the Revs, and uh, good win for them. So, Vegas had the bye. Let's go through the standings right now, and it's then we'll get into next week. It's really bunched up. I think spots one through eleven are pretty bunched up right now. It's Orange County on ten points through five matches played, plus eight goal differential. And all of those eight have been in their last two matches, so good for them. Uh, second place, Swope Park Rangers, also at 10 points. Sacramento Republic, another team at 10 points, just four matches played. They are undefeated still. Rail Monarchs, it's been a tidy three matches, three wins. They are at nine points in fourth place. Fresno FC, up to eight points from five matches played. Phoenix Rising in sixth on seven points. Las Vegas Lights, also in seventh, or uh, also on seven points. They're in seventh place, only three matches. And rounding out the top eight is Timbers 2 with seven points from five matches played. Just outside the top eight, we have Colorado Springs on six points from five matches. St. Louis FC with five points from four matches. San Antonio FC with five points from four matches. Pretty tough start for them. Uh, and then these last these last six teams look like hot flaming garbage. Um, Sounders two with three points. OKC with only three points from five matches. RGV with two points. Galaxy with two points. Reno with one. Tulsa with one. Um, you know, I haven't seen anything from any of those teams to indicate that they're going to have a shot at the playoffs this year. Yeah, no, I, I haven't either. But, I mean, the biggest surprise to me is Reno. You know, I mean, to go from the highest scoring team in USL history in your first season to uh, one point through the first three weeks, you know, that's it's still early on, but that's very, very frustrating. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't have them at the very bottom, but I I, uh, I didn't think they'd make playoffs. But, yeah, I'm very surprised. Yeah, and, uh, you know, obviously the Oklahoma teams both made playoffs last year. Dismal, yep. dismal stuff from them. Um, let's take a look at if there are any interesting matches next week. Ours on paper doesn't seem too interesting for neutral fans, but we'll see if there are any other ones. And keep in mind, starting on Thursday, April 12th, all matches will be covered live on ESPN+. Uh, the YouTube service will be good for our match on Wednesday, April 11th, so you can still see that match free. So you don't have to get ESPN+, Plus until April 21st for our match against Swope. And if you're really trying to be a cheaper person, you really don't have to get it until May when we really get that road trip going. We have three home matches, so... No huge rush to get on that. Maybe listen to a couple other people talk about their experiences with it if you want to be a selective consumer there. But on Saturday, um, let's see what we got. Indy Nashville in the Eastern Conference might be fun. Um, I'm looking to see if there are any good ones out West. San Antonio hosting Orange County. That's going to be fun. Uh, That's at at 530. That'll probably be OC's toughest match of the year going away to San Antonio and that's that's a big game for San Antonio if they don't get a win there 
I think people's eyebrows will really start raising. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be one of those games that it, I think it'll not to say that it doesn't matter to Orange County, but it'll definitely matter more to San Antonio. You know, they need points right now and especially in a home match, you know, the home matches are where you really try to pick up ground. So uh, it's going to be a really fun match. I would expect quite a few goals just out of Orange County's recent form, but you know, San Antonio has a solid defense, so maybe it'll be a close game. Also at 5:30, it should be really fun to watch Swope Park just destroy Oklahoma City. I would be stunned <laughs> if that yeah. game is decided by less than two goals. Um, and then, th- in my opinion, the match of the night: uh, Vegas hosting Sacramento Republic. That should be a phenomenal game, high entertainment. Those teams look so close on paper. Um, it'll be fascinating to see how that one ends up. And if Vegas can get a big win there, you really have to start talking about them as the biggest overachieving club in the league this season. Oh, oh yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, and it'll be a matchup of two, two undefeated teams. So that'll be, that'll be fun to see too. Um, I mean, you know, Vegas, we, we were talking about it earlier on in, uh, we all kind of didn't know what to think of their their lineup. You know, they hadn't signed many big name players. I mean, yeah, they had a few Mexican internationals and you know uh, local products, but it's they've really really performed uh, better than I expected. And like you said, if if they continue and they can get this victory, they'll definitely be the highest overachieving team so far. Yeah, only only other game worth watching uh, potentially if you're a masochist is uh, Reno hosting Colorado Springs. If Reno can't get a win in that match, their season is done. I, it's, crazy yeah. to, it's crazy to say, but like that feels like a must-win match. Colorado Springs is not that good. You have to find a way to get three points at home there. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, and, that's, and I, think, I think that just shows how valuable Chris Weehan and uh, Dan Kelly were to the Reno organization because we've seen, you know, those were their two big losses this offseason, and without them, they've they've struggled to score. So it'll be a this will be one of those games where they definitely need to perform, or they might be in for a very very long season. For sure. So I think that does it for USL news, USL standings, our match. Uh, at this point, I think it's time for supporters section questions, unless you have anything else you wanted to talk about. We got the ESPN Plus news out of the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, not so. Not everyone was so happy about that news. Um, <laughs> I think it's. I think it's a good opportunity to grow the league. Yeah, it's. It's a bummer that uh, you have to pay for it. You know, getting something for free is always nice, but. I also think five bucks is something that most of us can agree. It's not going to break the bank. Um, you know, just cut out your uh, fast food money for the week and you could easily fund to watch your team. <laughs> for sure. Uh, and it's, it's $50 if you get it for the full year. Um, if you're a big soccer nut, it actually makes a lot of sense because it's all, it's all USL matches. Oh, see? It's all MLS matches that aren't covered nationally. Uh-huh. There's even I didn't like, hear. Oh, go on. I, I I was just gonna say I didn't hear that you could do like the full year. I thought it was gonna be you know you had to do like the monthly. Um, have you heard if they'll have World Cup matches as well, or is that all gonna be on Fox? 
No, that's that's all Fox. Uh, that's what I figured. What's what's covered with that deal is all the USL matches, all the um, MLS matches that aren't nationally covered, um, certain certain like Nations Cup matches, which is a fancy way of saying friendly matches for European teams, um, mm-hmm. some some championship and football league matches over in England will be part of that. And then I think there's an MLB game of the day and an NHL game of the day. So oh, that's, I think, it, I think it's worth it for someone. If you, like you said, if you follow the sport and uh, if you don't just follow one team, you know, if you follow the USL as a whole, it, I mean, you know, you have access to all those matches. So. Right. Um, so moving into supporter section, we do have a couple good questions. Um, the first one comes from at Justin Vibs. Great to see you sending in questions as always. Uh, one of our most engaged listeners, and uh, you love to see that. Could you see a switch up in our forwards in the next few games? You can take this one first. Uh, I mean, we we've already talked about it, and I think I think we have to see a switch up in our forwards because um, other than that that OKC energy match, which I, I think we were just kind of riding the high of the home opener more than anything in that match. Um, I think that we have not seen consistency from our forwards, mainly Chris Cortez. So yeah, we'd need to see someone else, whether it be Kevon Frader, Jason Johnson going up top or Drogba. I think we need to see someone else. Um, hopefully that's the case this week. Uh, I think that it'll lead to better results. And, I mean, even if it doesn't, I don't think we have much to lose at this point because we have one loss, and that Reno match, the way I look at it, we got very, very lucky to get a victory there. That could have easily been a a 0-0 draw. So, you know, two matches without really goals from open play, that's kind of concerning. Oh, absolutely. Um, That might even be something that I'll, I'll bring up to you after we get through these supporter section questions, um, have teams figured us out. But before we do that, uh, the next supporter section question, um, I'm with you, by the way. If, if Kavon Freider doesn't start on Wednesday, I am going to say some very not nice things on Twitter, and I will probably yell a couple not nice things in my car. <laughs> um, hey, I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, come on. The guy was great in preseason. I understand. I understand the way that we put our formation out. He's not always the guy that Carter wants, but this match is begging for him to inject some life into our offense. Uh, the next tweet comes from Joseph Lowry at Joe and Cleats, another regular contributor, so thank you again. What is the future of Lambert as a lone number six? Obviously, it's only one game, but he looked very shaky against the Monarchs. Could we see him alongside Musa at some point? Um, I mean, yes. I think that's totally a possibility. I think that's why we signed James Musa. But the problem has been he hasn't been healthy since we've signed him. So it it kind of puts us in this scenario to where, yeah, it would be great to see Musa and Lambert in the midfield. I think I think that's what we would see. I think Fernandez might have to be sacrificed for that to happen. But, you know, because Musa's still out with an injury, um, that's not really an option at this point. But I do think Lambert has a future as a number six. I mean, 
he's very young. He's he's still a player that I think he still has some room to grow. But I have also been impressed by what I've seen for the most part this season. Um, he did have a bit of a shaky game last night, but it was also the best team that he's played so far. So I think that he has room to improve, and I'll look for that in the next couple of weeks. If that doesn't happen, then, yeah, maybe we see Musa take over for him completely. But as I said, we have to see James Musa healthy and on the field before that can even happen. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think I could say it any better. I think you have it exact. Um we're just waiting on Musa. And, you know, Kavon Lambert, he's great in the air, and he is young. So I, I think he got everything perfect right there. Um, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> hey, man, sometimes you're very eloquent. Uh, <laughs> the, the last question, which is more of a question that I've been thinking about than anything, have teams figured us out, or have we just been unlucky the last two weeks? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, I think our playing style hasn't changed too much since last season, and teams saw the success we had at the end of last season. So I think in a way, some some teams, the Monarchs especially, you know, Mark's, Mark Briggs, he's a, he's a good coach, good manager. So he kind of knew what to expect from us, especially at home. I think teams definitely know how we play at home versus on the road. Um, but... And that's, I think teams have figured us out, but I also think if Carterone's willing, we have the depth that we could tinker with our lineup to where teams couldn't have us figured out. And we could kind of have X factors that maybe they haven't seen yet. Um, it's something that, like we've talked about all episode, that we will look to next week. I think that this Las Vegas 2 match is the match that we need to see something different as far as our starting 11. You know, we need to see what kind of options we have other than the guys that we've seen consistently so far. So, yeah, teams have figured us out, but I think we also have a lot of cards that we have yet to play. I think that's a very fair assessment. Um, I would say based on... Yeah, based on the way that we're using our, our tactics now, I think I think teams can play around it. I think teams have done a very good job of limiting our, our chances near the goal and forcing us to take a lot of long shots, um, mm -hmm. which, is, which is, you know, less consistent. And I think that's where Billy Forbes becomes such an X factor and why he should be starting every match that he can start. Um, he gives us that speed on the left wing. He creates chances that just otherwise wouldn't exist. And I don't think we're going to be able to create too many chances up the middle against opposing defenses. So we really need to build from the wings. I mean, every once in a while, you'll get the set-piece goal or you'll get the long shot. But if we can build out off the wings, I think that's the way to do it. I think that's the way to break these defenses down. And, uh, you know, Asante has been very capable of that. Uh, it would be really nice to see Forbes help him out on the left wing. Um, yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, we've seen it from Asante consistently. So if if we can have a threat on both the right and the left wing, then I think that could open up space in the middle for whoever our our striker is. So I think it needs to be one of those uh, kind of continuous team efforts. But I think we have a long way to go. Um, we definitely have room to grow. There's no no doubt about that. 
Right, and how how would would this be a fair assessment? Because this is kind of what I'm thinking about our performances through four matches. We played two bad teams, and we played two pretty good teams, and we beat the two bad teams. We we're, we're good enough to beat the teams we're supposed to beat because when we have a talent advantage, the talent just overwhelms bad teams. You know, uh, Reno. Yeah. We were able to grind it out because we had the best player on the field, and he made something out of nothing. And then OKC, their defense is just in shambles this year. But I think it's fair to say in the two matches against good teams, we've really struggled to create offense. And I I wouldn't say that we were very clearly the second best in those matches, but I don't I don't think we're uh, we're better than the good teams right now. No, no, you're right. I mean, in that, in the uh, the Orange County match, I think that we we were better maybe for the first ten minutes, but I think we let off in that match and we didn't uh, put forth a consistent effort. And I mean, we we saw that Orange County, you know, they're a good team and they were able to come back and draw. And then last night, I think I think a draw would have been a fair result considering how many chances we had. But I mean, a team like Real Monarchs. They're not going to give you many chances, and when they get chances, they're going to capitalize. So, I mean, you said it perfect. We beat the two teams we should have beat, and the teams that we knew were going to be difficult, we didn't have the best results. And that's, you know, it's it's early on still, but it's something that definitely needs to change. Otherwise, you know, playoffs will be tough. Yeah. Getting I, the playoffs will be tough. <laughs> well, no, I, I think I think if as long as you beat the bad teams, you're going to be fine making the playoffs. The question is, yeah. are we going to get home field? And we saw how That's true. how tough it is when you don't have home field when you end up in fifth or sixth place where we are right now. I mean, there's no way this team's going to miss playoffs, but if you don't have that home field, it becomes so much more difficult on the road. Absolutely. I mean, what, you know, who would have expected, you know, a, a two-day match that, you know, is caused by a thunderstorm and some injuries that could have been prevented and yeah, we saw that not everything goes as planned when you have a road playoff match. So we desperately need that home match because I think our team itself plays differently on the road versus at home. They, they just have a different identity. So to have a home playoff match, I think we could fare very well. And the higher we finish, you know, the more likely we are to continue to have home field advantage. So right now is when we need to get as many points as possible. Definitely. Um one one final thought before we get to the uh, Waldrop interview. If you want to take a silver lining out of this, our next six matches, we play Los Dos twice, and we play the two Oklahoma teams. Even though it's in Oklahoma, um, both those teams have looked pretty horrible of late, and they are not defending their home field at all. So I'm a lot more confident that we can get results in those matches. And then the other two are home matches, Swope and Fresno. So I think we'll have some better results on the horizon. I think so, too. But, I mean, you mentioned those home matches. Those are the two best teams we're going to be seeing on this stretch. And uh, that that Swope match, I think that's going to be a tough one, but also Fresno. I mean, we, we've talked about it early on. They're, they're a better team than, than we gave them credit for. But I also think that by that time, we should have – our system figured out and uh, our goal scoring ability figured out. So I think by then we should be a uh, should be in good shape. I hope you're right. 
Yeah, I do too. <laughs> well, on that note, let's not delay it anymore. Let's get to this interview. This is done on Thursday, April 5th, uh, with Evan Waldrop, our very young, very intriguing midfielder, and with his agent, Dana Hooper. And she has represented a lot of soccer players, male and female, all sorts of leagues, national, international. So she brings a lot to the table. Just an awesome interview. Um, one of my favorite interviews that I've done uh, in my year with this show. So without further ado, here we go. Hello, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One Pod here, and we have two very special guests. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? My name is Evan Waldrop. Uh, I'm a local kid from Phoenix, Arizona, and I signed with Phoenix Rising this first year, and this is my first year as a professional soccer player. And I'm Dana Hooper. I am Evan's agent and attorney, and I work at the law firm Greenberg Traurig. Well, thank you both so much for making time. It's a Thursday afternoon here. Um, Got to start with you, Evan. It's really nice to see a local kid actually make the local team. What were your experiences with soccer growing up in Arizona? I started at the age of four. I've just kicked the my parents actually gave me a basketball and wanted me to shoot in a hoop and I put it on the ground and started kicking it around so my parents kind of looked at that and were like okay I think soccer is for him so I started playing uh, just for fun and then I started my career off at Serino for a little bit from like ages six to nine and then after that I played at CCV for the next five or six years and CCV was really an unknown program and no one's really no one really heard about them at the time when Serino we were number one in the state and the reason why I did CCV was because at Serena, I wasn't playing a lot. Uh, I would come off the bench every now and then, but I wanted to go somewhere where I felt like I could play all the time and just get better as a soccer player and mature more. So I joined CCV, and the next year we ended up getting second place in State Cup, and we lost to Serena. And it was a really cool experience because just being on a new team, and it was closer to home, and it's in uh, Peoria, and I'm from Peoria, so it was only a five-minute drive from my house. And so after club, I joined the Real Salt Lake Academy down in Casa Grande. And I, was, I lived there for a year and a half and commuted for one semester too. And that was just an incredible experience because there were so many players from all over the state and all over the country that would come to this academy in the middle of nowhere in Casa Grande. And we'll live down there and also go to school down there. We went to a public school 10 minutes away. And just only for it being only an hour and a half away from where I live, I knew that I had to take advantage of that. And it helped me get um, scholarships to different colleges. And I ended up going to Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. And it also helped me go to the US U18 and U20 national teams. And so after that, I went to Creighton for two years. And uh, unfortunately, I got injured a few times when I was there and it just didn't work out for me. And then GCU, one of my best friends plays on the soccer team there, and he told me it's an up-and-coming program. This coming year, they're finally eligible for the NCAA tournament, and uh, at least come out on a visit with my dad and my mom and check it out. And so I was like, okay, why not? It's close to home, only 25 minutes away. And when I walked around on the campus, I fell in love, and the soccer stadium's top-notch, and I thought it was really cool and how... I could definitely, as a local kid, be a part of something historic as the first year for the NCAA tournament. And so I transferred there in January of last year, in 2017, uh, for the next nine months, just getting ready for the college season in August. 
and the first game of the season, I broke my foot and was out most of the season. I got to play the last four games of the season or so, but I had to get surgery on my foot, and it takes two months to recover pretty much. So it was very unfortunate, and uh, uh, it was difficult at the time because I worked the last nine months for that opportunity. But if that injury didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am today, and I would probably still be in college playing soccer because I still had a year eligible left. So uh, everything happens for a reason, and I'm glad I did. So it, it sounds like you had to adapt to a lot of changing circumstances during your childhood here in Arizona and then even with your college career. How do you have the strength to get through these challenges and overcome them? It wasn't easy. I, my parents definitely helped me a lot. My dad especially always gave me encouragement. At the Real Salt Lake Academy, I started and played every minute, every game, and then going to Creighton, which was one of the best teams. We were number one in the country my freshman year at the time, and I'm a midfielder, and both midfielders were seniors, so I understood my role that uh, I would come on as a sub, and I would have to just keep working hard and keep uh, pushing the other midfielders in practice to make sure they're playing at their best. And then my sophomore year, when they left, uh, in the spring I started all the games, and then came back in the summer, uh, played PDA all in the summer, came back in the fall, started the first two games, but after that, my playing time started slowly decreasing, and then I got hurt and I sprained my ankle and I was out for about a month. And it was just difficult for me going through that because I worked so hard for that. And finally, I had to wait a whole year to be able to start playing at Creighton. And um, I just knew for me personally, I had to be in an environment where I can uh, play 90 minutes and get a lot of playing time. Because at the end of the day, trainings are great, but if you're not playing 90 minutes consistently and getting that game fitness and that game experience, you won't really grow as a player. So I felt like uh, after this past semester ended, the college season ended in the fall, I talked to my parents about leaving early and trying to figure out the best place to go because I, me personally, I couldn't wait another nine months just for a three-month college season. And uh, after a few months of considering different things, I ended up going to Phoenix Rising, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, so let's keep on the theme of adaptability. So after your junior season at GCU, the unfortunate injury, you really had to explore your options. And this is around the time where you came in, right, Dana? Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting because this was uh, a situation where Evan was so well polished and so um, had researched everything. So he actually came to me in a situation where he already had an opportunity overseas. And it was to help oversee the opportunity to say, okay, look, we have these contracts we're looking at. What do they mean? Do we need to revamp them? What is our power in trying to negotiate these contracts? So I actually came into Evan's life in a, in, in a situation where um, his father was already um, working with my firm in a business capacity. And one of my partners um, and he were talking or communicating and they got wind of the fact that perhaps I might be able to help Evan from the perspective of being a sports agent and attorney to review the contracts that were being put in front of him and his family. So that's how I came into play. We reviewed some contracts overseas. Um, he had some opportunities overseas, but then ultimately the contract that was presented to him for Phoenix Rising was just a no-brainer, especially you know him earning it and being here in town and being able to have his hometown fans see him play. Yeah, I obviously can't get into the details of that contract, but uh, what are some of your experiences with uh, clients? 
Well, with regard to contracts, um, specifically in the space of soccer or football, you have a situation where, um, as the attorney and the agent, you're trying to get them the best deal possible. You're trying to make sure they're not signing their life away, for example, too long of a contract or even too short of a contract. Um, is the team trying to sneak something in there? Um, are they forgetting to, to, to cover my client for insurance? What about uh, rooming situations or housing situations? cars, all of the things that we don't think about and we think, oh, that's just automatically going to be in the contract. It's not most of the time. If you don't ask, you're not going to get in most of my experiences. So with Evan and some of the other uh, soccer players that I represent, you know, we're always trying to get the best possible deal for the situation. Now, in Evan's situation, because he was a newcomer, a rookie into the league, um, you know, we, we wanted to start off with a situation that was fair, but still gave him the ability to earn a living playing soccer, and that's, that's what he was able to achieve. Uh, is this your first USL client? And if so, how did you adapt so quickly and you know, create a good deal for him? Well, he, you know, I, again, he really created the deal before I got involved. The deal was presented to him such that we did some tweaking, but because Evan is already so well-read and a smart individual, I kind of came in on the tail end. So again, I didn't create the deal. I, I really give Evan all the credit for that. My job was to make sure that we were dotting I's, crossing T's, and making sure the contract was sound for him. But um, with regard to the other contract overseas, there was a lot of negotiation going on back and forth involving um, some individuals representing him in an overseas concept that, that wasn't as comfortable and that we had to make a lot of changes. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so that I want to make that clear that, you know, Evan really came in um, with a, a smart approach of his own. Um, but to answer the, what was the other aspect of the question? Was this your first USL client? No, I've represented other USL clients over the years. Um, you know, a lot of times what I'll do is I have, will help them with their initial contract or I will help them with a problem. So one, one client that comes to mind who was in the USL, he had already had his contract, but he felt like he wasn't getting paid properly. And what was happening was, is they were improperly deducting money out of his paycheck. So they came to me so I could help resolve it because I'm an employment lawyer. So it worked out nicely. So that was something where this man was not getting paid properly and we needed to help him with that. Um, but I have also dealt with other contracts um, and sometimes the situation with the USL is that some of the guys that are new aren't even getting paid and maybe they're just getting housing or something like that um, all the way up to the people who are making you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So it really does, uh, there's a big spectrum there. But I've helped them in different capacities like that. Okay. And going back to you, um, we've talked a little bit about it's this opportunity overseas. Could you give us a little bit of a timeline and, you know, where this was happening? Yeah. So actually before that, um, a couple summers ago, I played with uh, FC Tucson down at PDL. And the head coach was Rick Shantz, who is now the assistant coach for Phoenix Rising. And... He joined Phoenix Rising last year, and last spring, last year in the spring, GCU, we actually had a scrimmage against Phoenix Rising a couple times. I was there. You were. <laughs> and uh, after that, Rick talked to me and wanted me to train with him over the summer to get ready for the season and stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll be in Arizona. I had a Sam campus at GCU all summer and pretty much work out and just get ready for the season. And I trained with them over the summer for a few weeks. And after the first week, Rick was talking to me about how if I would be interested in leaving college a year early after this season and joining the Phoenix Rising team. 
And at first, I was kind of hesitant, and I'm not, I wasn't really focused on that. I was mainly focusing on the college season, since it was so close. And so I told him after the season, I'd talk to my family about it and see if the offer's still up or how the season goes. And after the season didn't go so well since I was injured, I talked to my family about it, talked to him again. He said the offer's still up if um, you want it. And I talked to my parents about it, and I knew if I was leaving a year early, I want to explore all my options and see what was the best for me. So I told them at first, no, um, I want to explore other options. And then all December and beginning of January, I was working out, just trying to stay in shape. And then uh, opportunity to train with um, a second division Portuguese team came about. And so I went there for a week at the end of January. And uh, there's only two, two or three months left of their season, but they wanted me to join in July when the new season starts. And so my last day when I was in Portugal, I got a call from Rick again and said, Evan, we really want you uh, to join and um, want you to reconsider uh, what we're presenting and stuff. And just thinking about it, if I, uh, if I wanted to wait until July to go to Portugal and the next four or five months pretty much just try to stay in shape by myself or join Phoenix Rising, which is close to home, up and coming, uh, USL team and right now one of the best teams in the league and has so much potential to be even greater uh, I knew that I wanted to do that and just represent my hometown so at the end of the day I chose Phoenix Rising and I'm, I'm glad I did right I mean I can't even imagine you would have had to learn a new language yeah. learn about the Portuguese game uh, I don't know what the style of play is like over there or if the if the level of play is comparable because I know the USL has made some strides in recent years. Mm-hmm. Were these all things you were considering? Yeah, for sure. When I was there for a week, um, I learned a lot of Portuguese and a lot of things like they in Portugal you don't tip and just little things like that. That's so different from the American culture. And uh, how one of my friends from the U20 national team, he's there right now too, and so he kind of helped me with the English, and he has been there for almost two years now, and he uh, knows a lot of Portuguese now, so, so he was kind of a guy that would help me translate what the coaches were saying or what other players were saying, but it was really difficult with the language barrier and how uh, the city was beautiful in Portugal. It was in Varzim, and uh, it was... Is that a coastal town, or is it up in some hills? Uh, it's close to, um, it's by the beach. I'm not oh, sure wow. exactly where, but it's close to the beach. The city is pretty much on the beach, and a really windy city. And just thinking about if I want to do that personally for me, and if I would enjoy being there away from my family and chasing the soccer dream, or if I would rather be close to home at Phoenix Rising and um, in English. And yep stuff that I'm used to and uh at the end of the day I chose Phoenix Rising and I'm glad I did yeah I mean what is your what has your Phoenix Rising experience been like so far getting to train with Didier Drogba getting to train with so many great players now Solomon Asante what's it been like so far it's been a great experience our team is very young the average age age is about 23 24 years old and uh, compared to last year where it was a lot of older players that were more experienced that played in the EPL or all over the world. And so Didier Drogba, he's the captain. He's one of the captains on our team and is the oldest on our team. And this is the last season with Phoenix Riding. So uh, it's pretty cool to be a part, be teammates with him and be a part of his team pretty much. 
and uh, just learning little things and just seeing him how even at age 40 he's still killing it in on the training field and in games and he actually hasn't played yet this season because he was hurt for a little bit and then was sick also so uh this weekend hopefully he'll be able to play but the last few weeks too it's been a pretty cool experience because we actually a month ago got to go to ecuador and we played against uh team there and was there for a week and just the atmosphere and you're in uh, south america is incredible and the passion for soccer's uh out of this world and it's so different from the u.s culture and just being able to travel with the team and do preseason there uh as a usl team no other usl team had a great preseason like them and we also got to play against mls teams like new york red bulls houston dynamo sporting kansas city and uh and I, I saw you on the pitch in a few of those matches, too, yeah, holding your own. It was a really cool experience, especially going from college soccer last year to playing against MLS pros that are some of the best in the league. It's a, it was a really cool experience and kind of showed me what I needed to work on and how fast the play is compared to college soccer because it's definitely a big change. And uh, last weekend I got to make my debut, and I got to play the last 25 minutes or so when we played against Reno uh, up in Nevada. And we ended up getting the 1-0 win thanks to Solomon Asante's PK. And uh, it was just a very cool experience before I came on the field, just kind of soaked it in a little bit, thinking um, I worked all my life for this moment and how this is my official professional debut. And then once I stepped on the pitch, it was just another game, and uh, I was ready for, for the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, when you, were, when you were making it onto the pitch for the first time in a USL match, you know, are you a little nervous there, or is it kind of calm because you've already gone up against a team in Quito and you've gone up against MLS competition and you trained with Portuguese players already? There was definitely a little nerves when I came on, just wanting to make sure I connect all my passes and defensively I work hard. Uh, but once I got the soccer ball, I felt like it was just another game. And with the experience I've had before, um, playing with M- playing against MLS players and playing in Ecuador and then playing against uh, – different national teams too when I was on the national team it kind of helped me prepare this for for this moment to kind of get used to the the, um, the competition and uh, it definitely prepared me for that moment are you looking forward to your home debut still yeah I definitely am uh, hopefully it's this weekend um, I'm just trying to work as hard as I can in practice and impress the coaches and uh, hopefully I'll be able to make my debut at home in front of my family and friends so whenever that time comes I'm excited for that and what are your thoughts on Patrice Carterone? I mean, this is a guy that has Liga coaching experience. He's traveled the world. He's been in Africa before. And now he's sharing his wisdom with you guys. What have your experiences been with him? He's a great coach. He's probably one of my favorite coaches I've ever had, to be honest. Uh, even though I've only been a player under, under him for about almost two months or so. And then last summer when I was training with them. Uh, just the way he treats the players. Not only does he look at... He wants to win, but he also wants to play a very good soccer style and also cares about every single player individually and how they're doing off the field. And um, just overall, a great guy, great experience, and is very smart and has a lot of wisdom since he has been coaching for a long time now. And he was also a former professional soccer player. So just learning from him and getting tips and uh, advice from him, I'm definitely listening as much as possible since he has been through the ranks and has coached some of the best teams in the world. Yeah, and um, Dana, what's your experience been like with the Phoenix Rising front office so far? 
Well, it's been great. I mean, I really haven't had any hiccups. I mean, Evan just really seamlessly fit right in. And I think a lot of it has to do with his experience with the assistant coach. Um, also being a coach of his in the past, I think that that always does does wonders. Um, the fact that uh, the Phoenix Rising has been focused on trying to get more, more people from Phoenix, I think that that's a huge plus. Um, and, you know, we have so many investors that are from Phoenix and Phoenix business um, you know, Phoenix businesses that it's not all just a bunch of national famous people. It's also people really invested from Phoenix. Um, so it's been great. And, you know, the media has been great. You know, we're, we're just trying to get, um, you know, my focus is Evan and I want him to get as much exposure as possible. And I think that, you know, opportunities are just, they, they really do keep coming um, for Evan. And it's just really the beginning of the, the season. Yeah, especially being, uh, I think you're the only player on the squad right now that was born and raised in Arizona. Mm -hmm. What is that feeling? Uh, how does that feel? And do you ever think about, you know, young kids going to those matches thinking about, man, that kid actually grew up here. I want to be like that one day. Yeah, I think being the hometown kid considered by uh, Phoenix Rising, I think that's a really cool experience for me, how I get to play professional soccer in the city and state that I grew up in and how uh, other kids that are younger could look up to me and say, oh, I want to be there one day, and how oh, playing soccer, club soccer in Arizona could eventually get me to play with Phoenix Rising since Evan was able to do that. And so I'm glad that I'm able to inspire younger kids, and hopefully I continue to inspire more to keep pushing in soccer and try to reach that goal if they have it. But um, it's nice being close to home and having my family and friends come out and uh, see me play and also um, like preseason my family got to come out and support me and my family is huge and we had about 20 people that came out and how on the weekends I can drive 45 minutes back to Peoria and hang out with my family and friends and uh, spend quality time with them and not a lot of players can do that since they're not from here and they're out of state and their families in different states or even different countries so I'm happy I'm able to be able to do that and uh, yeah I'm excited to see how the season goes since it's a long eight-month season. It's off to a good start so far on all fronts, it sounds like. A uh, couple final questions for you. Uh, Dana, I know you've represented a lot of uh, women's soccer players, both American and even some international ones. Um, and the NWSL is really starting to come into its own. Do you think it's a possibility that Phoenix could have an NWSL team at some point? My short answer is no. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because the... Um the, the, the season's a summer season. And even if we had indoor training and even if we had indoor arenas for the players to play in, it's a hard place to have people live, um, to be honest. So that's the negative. The positive is, is there is a possibility because we do have, you know, Phoenix Rising that's, you know, up for an MLS bid one day, um, we, you know, as a goal. Um, you know, so that can be helpful. Um, the other thing, too, that's helpful is that there are a lot of really strong clubs here in Phoenix, um, a lot of really strong uh, women's teams um, as far as, you know, 18, 19-year-old, you know, ECNL, DA, um, Serena just got a DA, Serena's now under RSL, um, and so you have a lot of pro stops coming along now. It used to be we really didn't have professional soccer other than indoor, um, but I think Phoenix is starting to grow as a professional place for soccer players to come. Now, is, the NW, is, is it on the short list for NWSL? No, it's not. There are other teams that are going to expand in other parts of the country, but as we move more west, 
my hope is that you know we just got a team in Utah. Um, there's there are teams in Seattle and Portland. So my hope is that Phoenix will be looked at. But it's I don't think it's anything in the cards in the near term, unfortunately. Well, thanks for that perspective. Um, and then throwing it back to you, Evan. Any maybe any fun facts that fans might not know about you or. Any tips of advice for anyone who's a young player trying to grow? Uh, one fun fact I have is no one really knows this, but my grandma's from South Korea, so I'm one-fourth Korean. And you can never tell if you look at me, but if you see my dad and my brother, my dad's half, my brother's uh, one-fourth just like me, you can definitely see it. So I'd probably say that's probably one of the most interesting facts about me because uh, you just wouldn't see it with me being blonde hair and blue eyes. So is that your team for the World Cup then? <laughs> South Korea? Uh, I don't even know. Are they in the World Cup? Yeah. I got to support them. <laughs> but um, what was the other question you said? And maybe any advice for uh, you know young developmental players mm-hmm. in the area? Yeah, just keep working hard and uh, train on your own and uh, really work on your technical aspect of the game because... When you grow, when you grow up and get older and go through puberty, your physical aspect comes of you getting bigger and faster and stronger. And coaches um, really focus on the technical aspect as well as the physical. So that will come in time, and just do everything that you can uh, on your own and try to train um, on days that you don't have soccer practice or in your backyard or just in general. So I definitely. Uh, recommend that and then if you don't play a lot on a club team or if you get injured to just never give up because um, not every athlete goes through uh, difficult times and it's all about how, how you overcome them no athlete has had a perfect career where they've never gotten hurt or never experienced something that kind of pushed them back so I would just say that to the young players that if you do experience any like fallbacks or bad experiences to just keep looking forward and keep working hard that's an amazing answer. Uh, so mature for you're 21, right? 20. 20. Yeah. Oh my goodness, you just blew my mind right there. <laughs> um, you know, wish the best of luck to you this season and hopefully beyond for our sake. And uh, Dana, thank you so much for giving us your time. Do you guys have any questions for me or any thoughts? Well, no, just thank you for for starting this podcast. It gives you know Evan and the other players an opportunity and. Um, we appreciate you, uh, you know, being supportive of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course, it's just all about growing the game, right? <laughs> exactly. And wow, the, what a, what an amazing interview! Uh, especially that Waldrop response at the end there. Uh, any thoughts for developing players? Did you uh, did you find yourself laughing and uh, simultaneously being impressed with with Waldrop's maturity? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were talking about it before the podcast. He's he's very mature for his age, and I think, you know, that's why he was able to make this team. You know, he's he's uh, he's playing around a bunch of, I'd say, for the USL, we're one of the higher quality rosters, and uh, we may be a little bit younger with age, but I think we still have mature individuals. Um, so yeah, to see that from him, that's that's great to see, and I think. Uh, his confidence and I mean you know he's already seen the field this season I just I'm excited to see him continue to grow you know for for someone who uh, supports soccer here locally to see us sign our first local product you know that's that's just great you know I think that Phoenix Rising has shown their commitment to growing soccer here and uh, this is just another step in the right direction for sure and uh it's crazy how life works uh a long time bond with Rick Shantz going back to when he was playing PDL with FC Tucson and 
you know, unbelievable that he could have easily been playing in Portugal. You know, what what a difference that would have been. Um, we're very thankful he's still here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and hopefully he'll be here for for years to come because you know it's it's always awesome to to see someone play in their hometown and I mean I'm sure for him you know to be able to have his family come out consistently uh, that's always a big motivator so yeah it's crazy how life works out as you said and we're hoping to get more of these interviews in the weeks and months to come um, this was our first longer one with the player but certainly won't be our last uh, big thanks to Dana and to Jose Bosch for you know allowing this to happen and you know hopefully the first of many so any last thoughts before we wrap this up um i mean just as you said i don't think it's not time to hit the panic button everything's fine i think that this this loss you know it's not what we had hoped for when we were talking about it last week but it's it's also not one that I'm very surprised by because we weren't able to score any goals last night. And uh, Monarchs, there's not many nights that they don't score. So, you know, it's it's a respectable 1-0 loss. I don't think that our defense was too much at fault, maybe more of individual play than collectively as a unit. Um, I think that really, yeah, we just need to focus on our, our goal scoring. Um, we talked about it last week. I think s- short passing is what I would love to see improve the most. I think this week that could have been a game changer. But I think part of the reason why we haven't seen it is because, like you said, teams aren't allowing it. They're kind of preventing us from passing short little passes through the midfield and causing us to go out wide and put in long balls. So it's something that we need to work through, but maybe a new striker will be the fix. So we'll just have to look forward to next week. And I think, uh, I think things will go better in this trip to LA. Well, I agree. Uh, I think that's going to do it. I don't really have anything to add, um, but just keep the faith. And I, I think we'll be feeling a lot better in a couple days after that low dose match. So We'll be back next Sunday, probably with the full crew. I think Jeff should be back by then. So thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed the interview. And as always, go Rising. Yeah, go Rising. like to thank our sponsor Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.